Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of October 4th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 4 this morning. Acts chapter 4. We continue our look through this book and the early accounts of the continuing acts of Christ and the Holy Spirit. I want to begin this morning by again thanking those of you who prayed last week or the previous few weeks for uh, the one day serve local event yesterday. Uh, I saw this morning that uh, I forget the number of churches from around the state of Arkansas that participated in the one day serve local yesterday, but I know it was at least a couple hundred, I think. And I know as of right now, there were, there's been uh, 48 recorded professions of faith in Christ throughout the state of Arkansas as of yesterday. Now, I don't know that we had any here yesterday, but I also know we did have several really good conversations with folks, and uh, be praying for them that the Lord would develop those things into those who came and uh, He would take the gospel yesterday sowed, and He would develop it into fruit that seeing folks come to know Him. Thank you for those who helped get everything organized yesterday, those who walked the neighborhoods passing out popcorn and invitations to things later on this month. Uh, I. Few things thrill my heart more than getting a chance to talk to people about the gospel or even seeing others talk to people about the gospel. That was a fun thing yesterday. So we had a good day. Thank you for your prayers. In fact, I was wondering what it might have been like even yesterday as I saw some of you sharing the gospel with people yesterday, what it must have been like to witness Peter and John there on the Temple Mount so long ago doing the exact same thing. What it must have been like to see them heal this lame man we saw back there in chapter 3. What it must have been like to see them in the outer courts of the temple there in the, in the mount in Jerusalem talk about the resurrection of Christ, to teach others about Him. By the way, I know we, we tend to assume that everyone we know, or at least everyone that lives in this area, like here in the Bible Belt in Arkansas, knows the story of Jesus' birth and His life, His crucifixion and resurrection. But I had, I had two conversations yesterday with people who did not know at all the story of Christ. I was sharing with one and walking them through uh, the little braces we were wearing that had a visual representation of the gospel. And I, I got to Jesus' death and I said, and do you know what happened next? And they looked at me with this kind of this blank look and I told them, and they didn't know the answer, and I told them the story and they said to me, I have never, ever heard anything about this. And they live within three miles of here. It's a reminder to us that we should never assume people know the truth about who Jesus Christ is. That we are in fact a people that are on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter and John are talking about the resurrection. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Many of those who had heard the message believed in the number of the men who came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power 
In what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, we do so in awe and in reverence that you would even speak to us. But Lord, we ask exactly that in these coming moments, that you would, through the power of your word and your spirit, Speak to us and teach us all you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These men, Peter and John, are talking about the resurrection of Christ. The day before, on their way to the temple, we looked at this over the last couple of weeks, they had, uh, on their way into the, the daily prayers, they had stopped and they had healed a man born lame. They had brought him into the temple with them, probably for the very first time in his lifetime. And people were in awe at what they had seen. And so a crowd began to gather around, and Peter and John began to share about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that God had planned and done through the years through Him, that they had seen the work of Jesus Christ themselves personally. And so in the wake of all this, as they are sitting there in what's called Solomon's Porch on the western side, I'm sorry, on the eastern side of the Temple Mount, Late in the afternoon, because when they started the prayers, they were going up there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's probably been a couple hours now since then. And a commotion, there was a lot of people around there. And it says in particular that the group called the Sadducees have sent the temple guard to get Peter and John into custody. Now part of probably what's going on here is they want to examine these men. They want to challenge them. They want to, uh, they want to see what Peter and John are doing. So it's probably too late in the evening to convene everyone. So they're just going to have them arrested and keep them overnight. Now the Sadducees are a group that we, we know about. We've heard the name a little bit. We probably don't think about them as often as we do the Pharisees. We have a lot more of encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees. But the Sadducees were actually, while a smaller group, a minority group, they were um, the guys who were mostly in charge. Uh, they were the politically connected group. Uh, there are four major political groups in the time of Jesus Christ, in the time of early Acts, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. The Sadducees were the ones who were most connected. They, they were the ones that, the, by and large, were a little wealthier. Uh, they had brokered deals with the Roman government, and they were kind of the, they were seen to be the uh, elite, if you will. The Pharisees, we're probably a little more familiar with them. They were kind of a uh, they were the moralists. They, they prided themselves on their knowledge of Scripture, taking it literally. They wanted to keep all the rules, and uh, that, was, that was them. The Essenes, uh, think somebody like, maybe kind of like John the Baptist. These guys lived out in the wilderness. They, their idea was to separate from everybody else and to kind of do their own little monastery thing. And then the Zealots. The Zealots, and Jesus had a disciple uh, who was a Zealot, Simon the Zealot. Uh, these were what we might today call rebels or terrorists. They, they wanted to kill people, namely they wanted to kill Romans. They liked to assassinate guys. And these are the four groups. And the Sadducees, 
in particular here that we see in chapter 4, they did not believe in what we might think of as the supernatural. And in particular, they did not believe in resurrection. They thought all there was was your physical life on earth, and that once you died, that was it. You were done. So they believed in God, but they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in eternity for you and I. And so you can imagine for a group who's in charge, who doesn't believe that God resurrects, what they might think of when Jesus resurrects. And you might think about what they're thinking when Peter and John heal a guy in the name of Jesus, the resurrected Savior. They don't like this too much, and so they arrange to have Peter and John arrested. So that's what's happening here. It's amazing to me, even today, what the, the, the powerful name of Jesus will stir up in folks. It's safe to talk about God in vague and general terms. It is safe to talk about even religion. And the truth is, it can even be, in some ways, safe to talk about Jesus, if you talk about Jesus in the right way. If you and I were to talk about Jesus this morning as a teacher, that's safe. If we were to refer to him as a rabbi or a prophet, that's okay. If we talk about Jesus, the noble martyr, the victim of a conspiracy, or an inspiration to us, that is all just fine. Believe what you want about that, and that people are going to be okay with that. But believe He's the resurrected Son of God. Believe that He has done what He said He did, that He would do, that He would live, and that He would die, and He would resurrect, and He is, in fact, God Himself. Believe that, and now you have a problem. Now people are going to resist. The rest of those ideas, teacher, prophet, rabbi, victim, well, those ideas are able to be rejected and they don't really make any demands on my life. But if Jesus Christ is in fact the resurrected Son of God, well, that means something. And now, the claims that Jesus make are actually a threat to my life, at least the way I perhaps want to live it. If Jesus is in fact the resurrected Son of God, He can't simply be ignored or pitied or dismissed. Now He's someone who is powerful and people reject that they don't want to do that you won't ruffle a lot of feathers even in our world today talking about the great teacher jesus you won't even ruffle feathers about a church like ours doing some good things in the community there's little power in those things beyond human strength but you talk about the risen resurrected jesus you talk about the living son of god there's power there and that will bother people. Let me, let me take a few moments here to, to talk, especially for those of you this morning who are believers in Christ. I want to point out something here. When these guys are arrested, it doesn't seem to bother them. It just, it's kind of a matter-of-fact deal. In fact, we see this all throughout the book of Acts. Peter, John, later Paul, others, they get arrested on a pretty regular basis. And for the most part, they never complain, they never whine. They never make a big deal about it. They don't seem to think of it as a being a particular big deal. And what we might see as a deterrent, a negative, a hindrance, an a unfair treatment, they seem to kind of take as a matter of fact. That's not a big deal. In fact, I might even argue 
that they seem to see what is happening in the arrest as an opportunity to, to shine in the darkness. Now, on the one hand, you might say, well, wait a minute, the arrest stopped them from talking to this massive crowd about Jesus. And that, in a sense, that's true. But what it also did was put them in front of the leadership of the nation of Israel and for them to be able to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Do you think the Sadducees would have given Peter and John an audience outside of this? Absolutely not. So often what you and I see as barriers are in fact the opportunities that God's going to put in front of us to do exactly what needs to be done. The arrest is the event that gives them the chance to speak His name to authority. Now, believers, and I, I've struggled with this too, we may see the events of the last six months. COVID-19, the upheaval in our society, the violence, the division. We may even see the election and all that's going on around with that as perhaps negative things and there are lots of negative things about all that there has been hardship there has been pain there has been loss there has been depression there has been all kinds of issues in the last six months but it also may be that like peter and john's arrest like so many of the things that will take place in the coming chapters in the book of acts it's so like so many things have happened throughout the history of the church. That what we first think of as those things that are preventing us from taking the gospel to the world will be, in fact, the things that spread the gospel to the world. In fact, the historical examples of this are too numerous to get into. At the very least, throughout all of Scripture, you see this time and time and time again. If I'm Peter and John, if I'm even one of those around them, I'd be thinking to themselves, how can these men be arrested? How, dare, how can that be from God? How dare these men stop them from preaching? This is, can't be of God. And yet the very next morning, the result is they preach the gospel to those in power. There have been times in the last few weeks, a few months, I will admit to being somewhat frustrated because the, the, the six months before March, <laughs> I mean, last fall, starting about October last year, we did the first Who's Your One stuff, the, the prayer the prayer emphasis. And beginning from last October through the end of last February, we saw like 10 or 12 people baptized. We saw people saved. We had, we had kind of began to really grow. It was an exciting six months, and all of a sudden, boom, COVID. And I got to admit to being a little frustrated by that. But here's the reality. COVID doesn't stop the gospel. COVID doesn't stop the risen Son of God. Riots don't stop it. Elections don't stop it. Bad behavior doesn't stop it. Darkness does not overcome light ever. And what you and I are in front of right now, even as frustrating and as tiring as the events in our world may be right now, what they may in fact be, in fact, I don't think may, they don't may be, they are in fact an opportunity for the people of God to speak the gospel to those who what otherwise have never listened. You and I do not face the end of sharing the gospel. We face a new age of it. Do not let 
masks and pandemics and elections keep you from sharing the gospel. In fact, they hopefully are the spur to share it more aggressively. God has presented us with an opportunity this morning. Don't miss the chance of sharing the gospel. The truth is, we may, and I think probably will never be back to what we used to think of as normal. Whether it's a culture or maybe even what we think of as the regular programming of the church. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It may be, in fact, that God has for us things to do that are new and powerful and will do an incredible job of seeing the gospel made known to those who do not know Him. We have before us an opportunity. Now, look at this. Now, they've been arrested. They find themselves the next day in place of or in front of these Sadducees and the religious leaders. And, and here's, imagine this. There is essentially a semicircle of powerful, important people. And Peter and John are in the middle. It's called being on the spot. <laughs> Y'all know what that might feel like. Surrounded by people who have questions, and most of them aren't going to be friendly questions either. These are people who want to see Peter and John shut up. And they stand before them. And they grill them. I'm sure the tone of voice of these questions was not polite. And the first question that we have, or the question we really have that's the center of all this is, by what power or in what name have you done this? And I understand there's a sarcasm there, most likely. But it's also a question they probably shouldn't have asked. Because <laughs> Peter's going, you want to know? You really want to know? I'll tell you. Thank you for asking that question. And he begins to tell them. Now he tells them, first of all, that, uh, who, you know, they, again, he kind of repeats some of the things he's seen here. This Jesus whom you crucified, whom you killed, this is the name by which this guy was healed. And they couldn't, they couldn't, just, they couldn't, uh, they, they couldn't dismiss the guy who was healed. I mean, everyone knew he'd been there for years. They knew he was born lame and he'd been healed. There wasn't going back on that. But, Jesus, but Peter, like he has done throughout these first couple chapters of Acts, he goes back to the Old Testament. He quotes some scripture, and he quotes in particular from Psalm 118. And he says this there in verse 11. He, referring to Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118 is considered to be what's called a messianic psalm. And it's a psalm that refers to the Messiah. It's a psalm that Jesus quoted in the Gospels, as referring to himself. So Peter is not applying the psalm to Jesus for the first time. He's heard Jesus himself quote this psalm. In fact, this exact verse. In Psalm, I'm sorry, in Matthew um, 21, in Luke 20, and in Mark 12, you have the same story. You have the same account. In all three accounts, Jesus shares a parable of a group of a man who owned a vineyard. He hires some farmers to take care of it while he goes out of town. And then he sends, he sends uh, his some servants back to collect his share of the profits. And they keep killing these servants. And so finally the vineyard owner sends his son back to collect the, family, the owner's share of the profits. And they kill the son of the owner. And Jesus told this parable. And then he quoted this verse and said, hey, it's happening right now. He said, I am the, you know, basically Jesus is equating himself to the owner's son who's being killed by those whom the owner related. And in fact, all three gospel accounts also say 
that they all got mad at Jesus because they understood he was talking about them and, and their attitude towards him. So Jesus has already taken this psalm and he's already applied it to himself. He's already said, I am the one whom you guys have rejected. And that's the context of it in, in the Gospels. But Paul will also use this verse. He will use it in the book of Ephesians. Peter will use it again in his letter in 1 Peter. And he will talk about how Jesus is the cornerstone that the people of Israel rejected, but is now opened up to the work of God in the Gentiles. And he says that you are a people that have been brought together. In fact, I want to go back and read 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is again using this this passage in verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2, says this, And coming to him, that is Jesus, as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious of the sight of God, you also, speaking to the church, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This is what Peter will use later on. I'm going to keep reading a couple more verses. The precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the, the, this becomes the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's happening in the cornerstone, what a cornerstone was, and some of you perhaps know what it is, but that day is what a cornerstone would be. It would be the foundation corner, and, and it would square off and anchor the sides of a, of a construction building. So the cornerstone would, would, on one hand, on one sense, join two different sides. It would join this side and join that side. And both these passages have the picture of joining the Jews and joining the Gentiles into one building. And it's all connected to Jesus. He's also, that cornerstone is what keeps everything square. Everything is lined out from the rest of the building, up, down, sideways, by that cornerstone. It anchors everything else. And the Bible is saying, and Jesus says about himself, I am the cornerstone of God's work. Everything else is going to be built and related to me, and I will join in this building, this spiritual building, if you will, I will join Jew and Gentile alike into one plan, one work of God. This is what's going on here. And so Peter tells the the leadership of Israel, you turned your back on the very one that God said was the cornerstone, the measuring stick for everything else. And that's how this guy was healed. They have a chance to repent. They have a chance to, to, hearing this, change their attitude towards the Lord. By the way, this psalm, Psalm 118, I, I would encourage you to go back and read this this afternoon. Psalm 118 is also one of the six psalms that were sung at every Jewish Passover, that annual feast that the, Jesus celebrated with his apostles the night before his crucifixion. Jesus would have sung with his apostles Psalm 118 the night before he was crucified. 
By the way, speaking of the, of the Last Supper, we are going to do something really, really neat here in a couple of weeks. Two weeks from today, October 18th, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper for the first time since all this junk. Now, in case you're wondering, how are we going to do that? <laughs> we have purchased self-contained cups of juice and crackers. So what you'll, what you'll get when you come in here in two weeks is a little uh, cup about that size. looks kind of like the little plastic cups we're used to, but it's, well, it's one of those things. It has that little you know, seal you tear off so the juice is this side, and there's a second wrapper that you have to peel back that will have the wafer in it. So it'll be clean. We'll, we'll have those distributed on your chairs. You don't handle anything other than your own. It'll be clear. It'll be clean. It'll be healthy. It's all we can do. It's time to take the bread and the cup. So two weeks from today, October 18th, get yourself all psyched up for it. It's going to be a good Sunday. He is the cornerstone. He is the one in which everything else is built. This is what Peter tells these guys. And just in case they don't get that, he says one more thing. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Saved, Having established Jesus as the rejected cornerstone, having pointed out their rejection of Him, Peter says, it's this rejected Messiah is the only one that can save them. There is, in the Bible, a term, a word, a description of, of God's plan of salvation that to some of us today is, is very uncomfortable, and that's the term exclusive. There is no salvation. There is no being made right with God except through the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No matter how well-intentioned, no matter uh, how sincerely held the beliefs are, no matter what is done, there's only one name, and it's the name of Jesus. To believe what Jesus Christ claimed about Himself, to believe what Peter and John are saying about Jesus is to believe and to understand that there's only one Son of God. There's only been one time that God in the, in, made Himself in the form of flesh. There's only been one who came and lived a perfect life. There's only been one who died for us. And there's only been one who's resurrected. There's not multiple ones. He didn't take multiple forms. There's only one. His name is Jesus, the Christ. It's not... Uh, there's not multiple choice. There's one. Salvation is not in Moses, Noah, or Elijah. It's not in Muhammad. It's not in Buddha. It's not in pick a name. There's no other name. In Jesus' day, some sought salvation like the Sadducees and some type of political deal with the Romans. If we just, if we just make the right agreements with the powers that be in this world will be all right some decided it would be best to be all right with god if they just try to keep all the rules the pharisees if i just if i could just be more moral better than everybody else i'll be okay that's the pharisees some decided no you can't have anything to do with this world we'll hunker down in the cave outside the dead sea we'll be the essenes we'll seclude ourselves create our own culture and call everyone else bad now, some like the zealots decide just to be violent about it. You see, there's nothing that we try today that hasn't been tried throughout human history. And none of it saves. None of it rescues. None of it has any eternal, lasting value. 
only the name of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, There is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only one lived a completely perfect life. Only one demonstrated and lived out perfect obedience. Only one was righteous. Only one overcame physical death. No one else. Just the one. And so the name of that one, that the lame man was healed. So in the name of that one, that you and I sit here this morning, it's so in the name of that one who thousands and thousands and countless thousands before us have worshipped and adored and have spoken to us about. We are here because others throughout the centuries have spoken his name and not been shy about it. And it is my prayer that as long as Jesus delays his coming, that we will continue to speak out his name in power. There's only one. There's no need to talk about any other names, okay? This is the name. When we speak to those around us this week, I hope we love our church, I hope we love one another, and I hope we talk to people about that. I might even be flattered if you speak nicely about me to somebody you don't know, that you know doesn't go to church here. But let me tell you this, don't waste your time on that. Don't waste your time talking about me or your Sunday school teacher or the great music. Don't waste your time talking about the great organization, the great deeds we've done. That, in the end, is not really, it's, it's nice as it is. The only thing you can talk about with people, the only name you really need to be talking to them about is Jesus. Talk to people about Him. Talk about what He has done on the cross. and Talk about the empty tomb. Talk about how He loved us so much that He came to earth born as a baby. That the plans that God put in place from before the foundation of the world, began to, we began to see that in the birth and the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Talk about that. Talk about the grace that you have experienced in His forgiveness. Talk about the grace you've experienced as He has provided all that you need for an eternity. Talk about the hope of life, the evidence of His promises. Talk about Him. Don't talk about me. Don't even talk about the church. Talk about Jesus. The, the world doesn't need another organization. It doesn't even need some guy who, who's a decent preacher. And there's a lot better ones out there than me to talk about. It doesn't need that. It needs Jesus. We, we talked yesterday morning People thank us for the yard sale. People come by and thank us for the popcorn. That's cool, great. I hope that we want that. But in the end, that means nothing unless we introduce them to Jesus. He's the one we talk about. He's the one, that, he's the one that's brought us here. Talk about Him. The world ultimately doesn't need our best intentions. It doesn't even need our good works. It needs Jesus. And there's no other name by which they must be saved. If you are here this morning, if your life is hidden in Christ, then you have, like Peter and John did, you have what you most need to share and what they need you to share with them, and that is the name and the power of Christ. Share it freely and generously. Share it in your conversations. Getting a haircut. I had a chance to invite someone uh, to talk to them about Christ on, on the other day as I was getting a haircut. Talk to them in a football game, over coffee, in the backyard, over a grilled burger. 
Talk to them about it over the phone. By the way, don't rely on even events like we did yesterday. Don't rely on things like Fall Festival, which we aren't going to be able to do Fall Festival. By the way, we are doing Trunk or Treat. It'll be just a Trunk or Treat. But don't even rely on Trunk or Treats or Fall Festivals or Easter Egg Hunts. Don't rely on things like Vacation Bible School. And don't even rely upon what we do on Sunday morning. What you need to do is, instead of relying upon all these other things, is to talk about Jesus yourself, two people, one-on-one. That's how this happens. The way that the disciples, the 12 of them, then the 120 of them in that, in that room in Jerusalem, the way they end up 300 years later transforming an empire was not through Vacation Bible School, as great as VBS is. They didn't have arenas to bring in 10,000 people. The only place they saw 10,000 people gathered where they had lions eating them in the middle. I don't want that one. The way they did it was sitting down, maybe not over a cup of coffee back then, but sitting down over a cup of coffee and telling someone about the Jesus they now follow. That's how it happened. Share him. Talk about him. In the normal routine of your life, talk about him and the power that you have seen and evidence through him. Be a witness. Even this week, look for chances and conversations to talk about Jesus Christ. That's how it will happen. Our theme verse that we see in our church letterhead is 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The reason people get angry today about the name of Jesus is because it's a name that has power. Because a risen Son of God, not a simple teacher, not a simple rabbi, not even a simple victim, but the living, resurrected Son of God has power, and that makes them uncomfortable. Because the risen Christ makes a demand on our lives that makes us look past ourselves, set aside our own agendas, and live as He has asked us to live and to be who He has asked us to be. I'll close with this verse. You may recognize it. God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him, that is Christ, the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.